What's lurking in your heart? Let's drop the needle on this. What's up, guys and gals, and welcome back to another episode of Digging Deeper, a Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. I ain't point at you or anything that time. You're conditioned. You so just good. looked. I did. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know us, I'm Carl. To help keep us all on the straight and narrow, Pastor Mike is with us. Howdy. You can say hi. <laughs> you, 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 you did good. You did good. Waited that time. <laughs> We need lights above us. I know. You did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your turn. Guards. <laughs> the rich Colombian grounds that we know as Coffee Mike is here. Hello, hello. And as always, I'm co-hosted by the sultry sounds of Sunny. Hey. <laughs> so what's new, guys? Anything to share? Any funny stories? We don't have jokes anymore. I'm no. not a joke teller. No, I'm not either. Well, I'll tell you what, I busted my head I don't know how many times working on the truck yesterday. Oh, yeah? And I did, like, one of those ones where, like, you hit your head on the front, and then you do it on the back, and then, like, you just, you know, like, like a ball. <laughs> you know, I just went back and forth, like, four or five times, and I was just like, this is dumb. I got to take a break. <laughs> That's no fun. Yeah. No. Ouch. I mean, I thought it was funny afterwards, but my buddy, my buddy, he, he really thought it was funny. He was cracking up. I mean, he was afterwards or during. Cause see, I no during. Been, yeah, I would it have was been during, during as well. Yeah. yeah, it was. As long as there's no blood coming out of your ears, I would have been laughing hard. Yeah, I always try to make sure you're not severely injured first. Right, and then move on. That's pretty <laughs> funny. So, can you do that again? Yeah. And, <laughs> well, you know, he was just, you know, he's standing. You know, I'm underneath the truck, and he's, you know, standing there, and. So what was he doing on top of the truck if you were working under it? Uh, Holding a light or because that's usually my job. No, but like he had two two nights of clothes to be down there helping me. So like he, so he just, didn't really come to help you. No, come to he watch. well he kind of just came to hang out and yeah. then you know if I needed a tool, hand me a tool. Yeah. That helps more than anything. Like Okay, this is kind of like uh, for relationship deals. Okay, so if your man is working on something and getting a tool is bigger than actually helping working on it, because if he's down on the ground and you're, you know, just standing around, you know, talking and everything else, men enjoy that. Men enjoy having company while they're working on something. And especially if you can get a tool because then it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And then you're just, you know, you mm-hmm. might be underneath the truck. You got to get out of underneath, then stand up, then go get the tool, then go back, sit back down, crawl back under, you know. And if you do that 15 times, that's more than a workout. Yeah. Well, that also applies when you're sitting in the recliner at home. Hey, honey, while you're up. 
but we're not going to go there. Yeah. We'll call yours sunny relationship tip number one. We'll call yours, Mike, how to get a divorce. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, having somebody there whenever you're doing something strenuous, well, it's just like kind of like life, you know, and, you know, like all of us, you know, we have life. Stuff happens, you know, I've kind of had a weird week and it's just been kind of. I don't know. I've kind of coasted through it, but then yet I haven't really done anything to make it better, mm -hmm. but more or less, I've just threw myself into work and made sure that, you know, I'm focused. I'm working all the time. You know, I'm not, I don't have any, you know, downtime or anything. So, but, um, you know, I've been doing a little bit of reading here and there, been doing a couple of, couple of my posts, but, um, I started reading that book with my sister and I haven't got to talk to her about it yet, but I, I read the first chapter or well listened to the first chapter <laughs> since I downloaded the audible, but, uh, you know, Not a sponsor by the way, but, uh, I, uh, I don't know. It's just been weird, man. Like I've been kind of in my head and just kind of, I don't know. Just coasting, but yet conscience or con conscious, conscious of something's not right. Mm -hmm. Something's out of place. And it's just, um, you know, I'm trying to weigh the options and try to figure out exactly what's going on. But, um, you know, missing church hasn't really helped me. But, you know, I'm, like I said, I've just been throwing myself into work and working constantly all the time. And, uh, you know, I haven't had a day off and right at two weeks, I think, well, maybe a little over two weeks. I can't remember, but, um, it's just that, you know, I don't know. Life's been kind of coasting, but yet I know something's not right with either me or with what's going on in my life or, it might, it's probably me. <laughs> in my experience, it's usually me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say, in my experience, it's usually you. No, I'm throwing under the bus. No, 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 no. Well, that really applies pretty well with what we're going to be talking about. At least the first part here is those periods in life when, or those seasons when you feel like you're waiting on the Lord. Yeah. When you feel like you're waiting on him to answer or to move or to, to fight your battle. And uh, why it is he puts us in his waiting room. Before we get into that, I want to read something. It's from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 2, and it says, I waited patiently for Yahweh, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And it all started with him waiting patiently. Why does he make us wait? Why doesn't he just rescue us right off the bat, right? Well, why, how, how did he wait patiently? Because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I am not a patient person at all. Like I want it, what I want, whatever I want it, you know? And I guess that's kind of a childhood thing, you know? I mean, I was kind of spoiled a little bit and, uh, you know, I usually got what I want whenever I wanted it for the most part. And, uh, you know, then, I live the lifestyle of not having anything mm -hmm. and being okay with it. 
but then now I'm kind of, I kind of went back to the childhood deal and I, I want what I want and I want it. Dang it. And sometimes I get mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, this is, I'm not waiting no more. I want to do something, you know, or do, you know, be able to figure it out. But I actually think that highlights a major part of why he makes us wait to break that out of us. Cause I think we, we want our own way. We want to step ahead of him and we want to get what we want. And the only way for him to get us to acknowledge that that's a problem yeah. and it's something we need to surrender is to hit the pause button on us. Yeah. That's a great point, Carl. You know, I was sitting there listening to Sunday thinking whole first, Three quarters of my life, I was get what I want when I wanted. Then I lost the ability to do that. <clears throat> and now I seem to have more patience. And I have to wonder if that whole part of my life wasn't a season of him refining me to learn. It's my way. That's the way, not your way. I just, you know, shared before we started recording about the, uh, how he's been working on me to dig deeper and and think more about every situation I come in contact with. And I wonder if that wasn't part of the refinement that he was putting me through. I mean, I'm I'm still broken. I'm still messed up in more ways you can count, but I'm better than I was. Mm-hmm. And I'm, tomorrow I'll be better than I am now, I hope. You can identify growth. Yes. I used to have to really look for affirmation from others to see, hey, how am I doing, you know? I still do that from time to time. But I think the patience causes causes you to grow as a person spiritually. But, think, I mean, how much how much can you trust in the Lord if you said, I want, and it showed up? Right. Is there any trust in that? I don't think so. I think it's an expectation, which is totally different than trust. Well, and... He obviously wants to foster growth in the fruit of our lives. And when we get ahead of him, when we're left to our own proclivities, we tend to water the weeds. (laughs) And I I think sometimes waiting is his way of getting us to identify the weeds in the garden of our heart to pull them or to let him pull them. Sometimes we don't have the strength to pull them out. The roots are too deep. Thanks for that. Sorry, water bottle. (laughs) It's the new shield. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all my fault. Yeah, well, as long as everybody knows. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing is like, it becomes, I don't even like waiting days, you know? And like, I've got myself to the point now to where I've only, like, things are planned. Like, you know, all right, so things are planned through broken records. We got stuff going on coming up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to speak this Friday. Um, you know, I have, you know, certain things that are coming up that are really important to me, you know, there, but there's like this space in between where I'm just like, um, it's not that I'm falling away, but it's like, I'm just stagnant. Holding pattern perhaps. And it's like, yeah, there's something that I, I, I want, like, I, I want to do something, but then I don't do nothing to go do it. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. It's, 
going through this process has been difficult because I've never been here before. And I mean, that's a given because, you know, I've never been this age. I've never been done these things. I've never, but getting sober, getting closer to God and trying to live the life of who he wants me to. I've never been here and it's all new. Not really sure that I'm always doing things right, but I try, you know, and then there's these times of stagnant. I'm just kind of, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So it's, I get, I get in my head about it and then I get kind of reclusive mm -hmm. because then I'm just like, you know, because I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to do anything dumb. And I sure as heck don't want to go back to who I was. So myself, I just kind of, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I don't know how to explain it. Maybe it's a time of reflection that he's put in your life. So you have a little perspective of where you were and where you are, and what and it gives you time to think. I mean, right. I mean, he, he, he rested himself on the seventh day. Mm -hmm. So perhaps he's giving you some rest right now, Sonny, to well, take I, a look at what you're doing. I always love the fact that the Bible said that Jesus took naps. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that part. <laughs> even during storms. Yeah, even yes. during storms, he took naps. And, you know, I know that I'm... I know that I'm not on the wrong path because everything keeps going forward. Like he keeps but, giving you reminders. Yeah. yeah. And, but there's the things like there's, there are certain things that he's been, you know, telling me to work on and telling me to do and stuff. And some of them are kind of still in play. Some of them aren't. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, I know, I know he's there, but I don't have those moments, you know, them ah moments like, ha ha, yes, you know, and I haven't had one in a while and it, you know, I get kind of wouldn't say sad or mad or, you know, I get kind of bummed, I guess you could say, you know, but I look forward to those moments and I haven't had one and a few weeks, yeah. you know, and it's like I get kind of just distant from them, I guess. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but given you just said that, I want to read something. It's from Second Chronicles chapter 32. Hang on a second. It's not from our actual study today, but it's, it's a reference that I wanted to read in, uh, in relation to this topic, Waiting on Him. It's about the King Hezekiah. It's just sort of a one-off line. And it's toward the end of his reign, and it says in verse 31, In the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon who sent to Hezekiah to inquire of the wonder that had happened to the land, God left Hezekiah alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. I've always been fascinated by that verse mm -hmm. because it seems to indicate that he... He didn't guide Hezekiah in that moment per se, not, not, not super actively or knowingly, 
He let Hezekiah feel like he was alone to test him in the wording of the text, to test him to see what was in his heart. And I think that's often the purpose of this waiting room that mm-hmm. he puts us in. It's, it's to reveal our true heart and not just our true heart, but the cracks in our heart that need to be sealed because those cracks can cause serious problems moving forward if we don't seal them early. And I think that's often the, the purpose. If we ignore it, we just cover it over and pretend it's not there. It doesn't solve the problem. So he has to reveal that to us. And I think you're describing, I've been through it. Yeah. And the way you're describing it, it sounds exactly like that. Yeah, because, I mean, there's just, like I said, there's there's things I know I need to work on that aren't, you know, godly, holy, whatever you want to call it. There's sinful. Um, there's things that are <clears throat> really weighing on me. And then there's certain things that are just like, meh, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I think whenever... God gives you conviction over something and then you don't do it. I think you drive yourself insane over it Mm -hmm. because I don't think it's him and I don't think it's the devil. I think it's you, your flesh. You know, I think it's, it's your own heart, your own mind. And then you have the Holy spirit within you reminding you, you know what I mean? Just saying, uh, there's that, there's that thing. Hey, there's that thing, you know? Um, but I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I mean, things are, aren't bad. There's nothing wrong with my life. There's nothing in my life that is, that is really completely horribly out of place, but there's just these, you know, stagnant periods of, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't, I don't have, the urge to really fix anything or search to fix anything. It's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm just gonna not deal with today. And I don't, I don't know. I don't like being like that, but I don't know how to change it at this moment. So I think that's why it's so important to always inquire of him first. And that's mm-hmm. really what he's trying to condition us to do is to always inquire of him and seek him first in everything, you know, and because it can be, it can be conviction. Mm-hmm. It can be an attack from the enemy. It can be your own flesh. It can be a combination of those things. But no matter what it is, he's still sovereign. So whatever comes into your life and whatever's affecting you, he's still allowing it for a sovereign purpose. And it's really important to inquire of him to to have understanding of what that purpose is or what he wants you to do in that moment. If he, even if he doesn't give you a full explanation of, of this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, because he often won't, he will show you your next step. If, if we inquire of him, sometimes it's not right away though. And part of the waiting process, what it looks like waiting process for us is his divine plan itself because he wants, God's a God of order. So he wants us to learn things in certain phases. Mm-hmm. So before he brings us to the next step, he's going to teach us this moment. And that's the waiting period mm-hmm. where we're learning this next step because he's preparing us for something that's going to happen to us. And so until we learn this, you know, I'm not going to be able to counsel somebody effectively until I learn this in my life and really understand what somebody's going through and what, what they've experienced. And so I have to learn that before I, before he brings the big, the big thing. Does that make, right. so that kind of makes sense? Yeah, yeah, so sometimes yeah, it what sure. looks, sometimes what 
it's waiting to us sometimes as part of his, okay, I want, this is like we've talked about this is what I want you to teach. This is where your heart is. This is where I need to mold you and grow you. The purification. And, yeah. The process. purification process yeah. in order for the next, the next step in our yeah. life. And I think the the term here used is important too. that phrase waiting patiently. It's kawo kawiti in Hebrew. And both of those terms are based upon the same Hebrew word, which is kaba. So you essentially see the same Hebrew root there twice, back to back, kaba, kaba. And it, it's not passive. It's, it's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It actually implies waiting with expectancy. Yes. So you're waiting on him with eager expectancy that he, he's going to act. It's the same term used in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. 31. Yeah. I, I, I waited. Those who wait on, on, on the Lord. On Lord, the Lord. Their strength. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Like, yeah. like eagle, eagle wings. On, yeah, on wings like wings eagles. eagles. There you go. <laughs> My wife's <favorite> verse. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Well, yeah. It's that same, it's that same Hebrew word for wait. You, you wait with eager expectancy. You're not just sitting and doing nothing and, yes. You know, it, it, it almost, it almost pictures like pacing. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're waiting so eagerly that you're pacing because you know, he's going to act and you're just waiting for him to act. And you're, you're, you're excited about what he's going to do. That's sort of like what this pictures for us here. That's what, what David's talking about when he says, I waited patiently, he eagerly waited because he had so much trust that he knew, even when he didn't know, he knew, right? He chose, he chose, he made an active choice to trust that he was going to act when he cried out for help. Cause that's what cry here is. It's Shabbat to cry for help. It's not just crying. It's, it's a cry of distress. Like you're begging him for help. You're seeking him. You've gotten to a place where you're seeking him with your whole heart. And then he acts and he may not do it that moment or the next day or even the next week. You know, in the context of what we know about David, it could have been months of crying out to him. Could have been years. We, we really don't know for sure when he, you know, the context of when exactly he wrote this Psalm, as far as I know. But there were periods where he was crying out to the Most High for a long, for a long space of time before God gives him an, a, a conclusive answer. But like Micah said, it doesn't mean that he's not acting in a way that we just can't see. He is. He's not, he's not just tormenting us with this waiting period. There's always a purpose behind it. We see that sort of, and I don't want to get in the weeds on, on, on sidetracking, but when we did that study recently in Daniel, mm. where he's praying and fasting, and he's waiting for an answer from the Lord, and he's waiting how many days? 21, 21 days. 21 days. Yeah, yeah 21 days. It wasn't that the, that the most high didn't answer. He did. He answered right away, but there were, there were spiritual aspects behind the scenes that Daniel couldn't see that was keeping the answer from getting to his ears. Mm -hmm. Right. And he just had to trust and wait with eager expectancy that, that the Lord behind, behind the scenes was acting on his behalf. I think when our kids were growing up, when they were little, we, um, my parents would come up from Kansas city and, um, my oldest and my youngest are not as detailed as my middle child. My middle child is very detailed and very, very conscious. And so when my parents would say they were coming up, they would, they would anticipate the weight. my oldest and my youngest, my daughter, they would, they would go around there when, when they come in, okay, they'll be here in two hours, you know, from Kansas city. Okay. Well, they'd go off and play. Well, my middle one, Josiah, he's, he was a lot more detailed. He would be like, when are they coming? He wouldn't know the exact time and he would wait with anticipation. He would continue to go to the window. Are they here yet? I mean, if you, mm -hmm. if you said, if you said they were going to be here at 1230, it better be 1230, <laughs> not 1231, not 1232. It better be 1230. Cause he was just that. That's yeah. how I, that's how I thought. And I think <clears throat> when we anticipate the Lord, like Carl was talking about, we're anticipating what he's going to do next. 
And so that waiting is, yes, a waiting period. Okay, what's the next step? But it's a waiting while we're, while we're continuing to serve him, mm-hmm. while we're continuing to go about doing what he wants us to do until he shows us that next step. It's not just kind of sitting back and twiddling our thumbs and going, okay, well, what's next? I'm just going to sit here and eat some ice cream and hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that eager anticipation, that active serving while we're waiting, during the wait. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a Hebrew term. And there, it's a little bit debatable on what it means. It's Selah. You, you always see it in the Psalms untranslated. It, it just appears in the Hebrew there. It doesn't appear in that Psalm we just read, Isaiah, or Psalm 40, but it does appear in Psalm 39, the one before that. And it's just Selah. And most believe that it's, it's, a, it's a musical term. Like, for example, in piano music, you see these little, these little marks on the, on the piano music that are pauses. Right. It, it adds value to the music. You know, if you just continue, if you just continue playing the music without the pause, you notice it. You know, mm-hmm. The pauses add value and impact. And we believe that Selah or they believe that Selah is probably very similar to pause. But in the Hebrew, it likely means stop and listen. Mm-hmm. Stop and listen. And I really think that's the purpose of the pause for us. When he puts us in that way to Tim pausing and getting us to just stop, slow down listen to me and seek me. So I think that's ultimately the goal is to get us to, to listen to him, to receive counsel from him and to seek him only. I really think that's the point and the purpose. And we're going to see that in our study today in the cautionary tale that is King Asa. Before we dive into that, I want to give a little bit of background of, of, of where King Asa found himself in the timeline of ancient Israel. So we know that, that Solomon, Solomon was King Asa's great grandfather. And under, under Solomon's reign, toward the latter half of his reign, he, he had married some, I believe they were Sidonian women. They brought uh, paganism into Israel. I may be wrong on Sidonian. They were, they, were, they were Gentile women. They brought paganism in, and he was allowing them to build pagan altars and shrines, and he was even sacrificing to these pagan gods and, and things like that. And, and the father was angry about this because Solomon knew better. And the punishment was that the kingdom would be divided. So in, in King David's and King Solomon's day, it was a united kingdom, just the kingdom of Israel. So when the, when the judgment came down upon Solomon, he told Solomon that for your father David's sake, I'm not going to do this in your lifetime. Because the Most High did love Solomon. He said in your son's lifetime, after you're dead and gone, the kingdom's going to be divided. And that's where we got the division of the kingdom between north and south. So you have the ten tribes to the north, predominantly, predominantly ruled by the tribe of Ephraim in the north. So you just have the northern kingdom called Israel. And then you have the southern kingdom where the Davidic kingdom line maintained. So Solomon's sons, David's sons, continued to rule in the southern kingdom called Judah. And that was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom. So Asa was a king in the southern kingdom. Now, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, continued the sin of his, of his father, Solomon. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 14 verses 22 through 24, it says this under King Rehoboam's reign, Judah did evil in the sight of Yahweh and they provoked him to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins which they committed. So he, he multiplied the sins of Solomon. For they also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and Asherim on every high hill. And Asherim is like a pole dedicated to a female deity, like the queen of heaven on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. There were also male cult prostitutes in the land. 
They did according to all the abominations of the nations which Yahweh dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So they were adopting the pagan practices that, that the Most High commanded they, they be expelled from Canaan, right? They were adopting all these practices. And it's important to remember, they were, they were continuing to acknowledge the Most High. They were just worshiping pagans, pagan gods at the same time. So they were trying to mix and mingle, which he never accepts. Mm. Now, Rehoboam was, was greatly humbled. Told, Sounds like 2023. What's that? Sounds like 2023. It does, a little bit too much. Uncomfortably like 2023. Mm-hmm. So to humble King Rehoboam, I'm trying to flip around back and forth. I apologize. To humble King Rehoboam, the Most High brought a ruler from Egypt called Shishak to invade the land, to get his attention. And uh, there was no way that King Rehoboam could fight against Shishak. Shishak was very powerful at the time. Goodness. You're, you're heck on that over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> so in second Chronicles chapter 12, verses five through eight, we're told this when the most high gives Rehoboam the reason for this invasion, it says this, then Shemaiah, the prophet came to Rehoboam and the princes of Judah who had gathered in Jerusalem because of Shishak. And he said to them, thus says Yahweh, you have forsaken me. So I have also forsaken you to Shishak. This next part's really important. This shows the grace of the Most High. It's why I cringe every time I hear a pastor make it sound like there was no grace previous to Jesus. There was. Grace is part of the character of our eternal Father. It's part of his eternal character. It's always been there. That's not new. Jesus realizes that for us. But the the grace has always been there, and we see that here. Verse 6, So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, Yahweh is righteous. No excuses. They don't make excuses. They don't even really ask for forgiveness. They just, they just exclaim he's right. And what he's doing, he's right. We've sinned greatly and we deserve this. That's essentially what they're saying here. He is right in what he's doing. Verse seven, when Yahweh saw that they humbled themselves, the word of Yahweh came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by means of Shishak, but they will become his slaves so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. Another way to translate that is they will learn the difference between serving me and serving the nations. Mm. So there are consequences. He forgives them, right? He doesn't destroy them, but he teaches them a lesson. And I think this can be very much compared to what we just talked about with the waiting period. Sometimes it's his way of teaching us the difference between serving him and serving our flesh, serving our own she-shack in our heart. Now, we're told that he didn't really learn his lesson, though, not fully. And it says this later in that same chapter in verse 14, he, as in Rehoboam, did evil because, and this because is really important, he did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. So even after this, he didn't, he didn't purpose in his heart to fully seek the Most High. So it was a heart issue. Yeah. Then his son takes over. His son was named Abijah. So Rehoboam dies and Abijah takes over as king. And we're told in 1 Kings, now I've got to flip back and forth because... First Kings and Second Chronicles details the same accounts, but we get different information across the two. So in First Kings chapter 15, verse 3, we're told about Abijah. He walked 
and all the sins of his father which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God like the, like the heart of his father David. You see a, a theme there? Same thing we see throughout scripture. Yep. It's always a heart issue. It always comes back to the heart, and it's because they had a divided heart. Yep. It's not that their heart didn't, didn't, wasn't his at all. We're told that it wasn't wholly devoted. They were trying to divide their heart between him, between serving him and serving the nations or serving, serving pagan deities or just disobeying him, like actively, intentionally, unrepentantly disobeying him. They, they didn't put purpose in their heart to seek him with whole devotion. That's what we're told in the text. And that's where we come to King Asa. So King, King Abijah doesn't live very long, and then King Asa, his son, takes over. And that's where we're going to start reading in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14. And it says this. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. They had 10 years of peace. Asa did good and right in the sight of Yahweh his God. Now here's why. Verse three, for he removed the foreign altars in high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the asherim. I'm going to pause there real quick because I'm actually going to read something from that gives us a little bit more detail from First Kings about this also because he does a little bit more than that. You would think as much as I make fun of you, Micah, for not bookmarking, <laughs> at some point I would learn my lesson and I would do that, especially if I know I'm going to flip back and forth to this same account. Again and again and again. And again and again and again. You're in a waiting period, Carl. <laughs> I'm putting you guys in a waiting period. Let's see, let's see if you learned your lesson. <laughs> I learned that I'm going to buy Carl some bookmarks. Well, I've got bookmarks. I just don't use them. So it wouldn't do any good. I just yeah. put them in the back of my Bible and they'd sit there. And then I'd complain about how I didn't bookmark. So 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 11 and 12 says this. Asa did what was right in the sight of Yahweh like David his father. So it goes a little bit further and compares him to David at this point in his life. That's stunning. You don't see this very often in scripture. Rarely do you see a king compared directly to David like this. The only other two, there's a couple, there's the only other two I can think of off the top of my head is Josiah and Hezekiah. There might be, there may be Jehoshaphat, Asa's son. Jehoshaphat made some mistakes too, though. Josiah and Hezekiah were, were kind of the, when you think of the, the, the top, most righteous kings of Israel other than David. Those are the two that come to my mind first. But I'm just saying this is rare to be compared with David. This is a big deal. Verse 12, he also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his father had made. So all the, all the sins that Rehoboam had brought to amplify, to magnify the sins of Solomon and the sins that, that Abijah, Asa's father, doubled down on, he removes all that, which is pretty awesome because he doesn't have a righteous example. That's why I wanted to set up this, this, this background here, you know, going clear back, his great grandfather was Solomon and, and Solomon's latter half wasn't great. Right. I mean, I, I, I think there's a good chance Solomon repented when you read, obviously when you read the Proverbs, but he didn't set a very good example. Right. And Rehoboam's example, which was his grandfather was terrible. And Abijah's might've been even worse. He did not have a godly example before, as far as in his family line. And he completely turns the page. Like, it's not just that he's worshiping the Most High. He's tearing down all the altars that they made. Which, 
you know, would have probably looked like a military campaign almost and coming through these places and you're tearing this stuff down and people probably don't necessarily agree with you because mm-hmm. you're doing it anyway. And you see this in verse four, we're going back to, to second Chronicles chapter 14. It adds this after he tears down the Asherim says, and he commanded Judah, commanded Judah to seek Yahweh, God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So he goes even further and says, all right, we're not just tearing down these high places and these idols. We're getting back to, we're getting back to God. Yep. We're not giving him lip service anymore. We're going to obey him because yep. what we're doing is not right. He commands this. At this point in Asa's life, he was pretty awesome. You guys have any thoughts? Not yet. Not yet? Getting there? Or Getting primed up. I, I, I don't know. I just keep thinking, like, we didn't go to the song yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're already into it. <laughs> I think yeah. we're I think deep. I got, I got a plan for that. I think it's exactly what we do today. Yeah. I mean we we serve. We have people that want to serve God, and I think do serve God, but they're not wholeheartedly serving Him. Yeah. And so we're you see that, it's that total sur- yeah that total surrender. We don't we don't like that. Mm. You know we want to kind of. We've talked about checking the boxes and we've talked about genie, you know, having God kind of at the genie in a bottle type type mentality. But even though we don't say we, we want that, we kind of, we kind of do, we kind of want to do our duty and attend a worship service and say, we've, that's good enough. I don't have to do a whole lot more. And yet God requires total surrender from us and wants us to serve him faithfully and wholeheartedly and be all in. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can tell when you know, we were talking about the Pro Bowl earlier, you know, you can tell when people are all in and when they're just kind of goofing around and having fun. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think I think it's important for us to understand that, that he wants us to be all in for him. He doesn't want us to kind of I mean, not that we can't have fun. I didn't mean that. But, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I mean, you know, we can we can enjoy life. He he comes to give us life and life more abundantly. He comes yes. to give us joy in life, and so There's I'm not. A time I don't mean, to laugh, right? Yes, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't mean we're all serious all the time. We never, we never, we never do anything. But I think it's that, that as we're serving faithfully with others, we'll have joy in it. Mm-hmm. We'll have a good time. We can sit around as us four guys sit around and goof around and have a good time because we're actively serving, and that's that's part of it. Yeah. It's about your heart's desire. We're going to see that as we move forward, you know, the contrast between Asa's early, earlier years compared with, with his fathers, their, their heart was divided. I I can't stress that enough. They, they, they served the most high as much as they felt like they absolutely had to and absolutely no more. But we see Asa at this point in his life, he was given his whole heart to the most high. He was, he was putting everything into it. And I think we're going to get into later, there was a crack. And I think we have a very, very concrete clue as to what that crack was. But at this point, outwardly, he was given his heart to the most high and he was doing all the, all the outward things that he should have been doing. Let's continue in verse five. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war with him during those years because Yahweh had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought Yahweh our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. 
so they built and prospered. Notice he, he credits the Most High for all of his peace. For all the prosperity, he's crediting the Most High for that. And this also highlights that, and we're going to see reverse 8 first. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. And pause there to highlight, he's preparing, he's making preparations, he's building walls, he's fortifying, he has an army. Making reasonable, rational, rational, responsible preparations is not a sin. He's never condemned for this. And the reason is because he credits the most high for all of it. He's, at this point, he's putting the most high first. But the preparations aren't sinful. Sometimes I hear that, that, you know, we should just sort of going back to our conversation about waiting, just be so passive about that we do absolutely nothing on our end at all. And that's not really what he calls us to do, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not that we're supposed to do absolutely nothing and just sit back and, and watch him rain fire down. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like being smart and responsible isn't a sin if you're putting him first. And we're going to see the contrast of that later in Asa's life. But at this point, He's making all the preparations you would expect a responsible ruler to make. But at the same time, he's saying we have our peace and prosperity because the Most High has given it to us because we've served him. It's the only reason we've got it. Verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. So Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. Then Asa called to Yahweh his God and said, Yahweh, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Yahweh our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Yahweh, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So Yahweh routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. He didn't rout the Ethiopians because he was a, a brilliant military strategist. He routed the Ethiopians because he trusted in the Most High and sought him first. Although the Most High used the army that he gave Asa to do it, it was the fear of the Most High upon the Ethiopians that gave them the victory. Now, you do see other instances where the Most High supernaturally defeats armies for kings. You see that. You see that in the life of Jehoshaphat, Asa's mm -hmm. son. But you also see instances like this where there's an actual battle that occurs. And the Most High acts on behalf of those fighting the battle to give them victory. You see that a lot as well. And that's what happens here. All because they, they put him first. Asa sought him first. He didn't wait until, until the battle was almost over and he was losing the battle to cry out and say, Oh, God, help me out. We're about to lose. He put God first. He sought him first and gave him all the credit for it and, and really put it on the most high that let not man, man prevail against you, not me. Let not man prevail against me. Asa didn't say that. Asa said, let not man prevail against you because we've come out in your name. Kind of, I, I feel like this is one of those times to where like in your prayer, you speak as a, Like if it was that way already, like, you know, like you, 
I don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, like you speak kind of almost what you want to happen into existence. What is that called? I think, I think the concept you're thinking of is, is praying with the belief and expectancy that he's going to act. Yeah. Not, not, it's not us speaking anything into existence. It's us knowing that he's, he's right. going to do what we ask him, ask of him because it's in his will to do it. Right. That's, and I think Austin yeah, knew at this point I mean. that this was, the, he, he understood the most high enough at this point in his life to know that the most high's will wasn't to destroy the people of Judah. Right. So I think he comes at this, like we can't lose here because the most high is not going to, you know, we've served him, you know, our, we've given our heart to him. We've obeyed him. He's not going to let these Ethiopians destroy us. That's not our God. And I know if I, if I cry out to him, I know he's going to answer. I think that's the heart you see with Asa here at this point. You know, <clears throat> sitting here thinking about the last podcast and the, and the 12 spies they sent out, they knew God was for them, yet they didn't seek him and believe. Again, it's an, the theme here is the same, mm -hmm. except he did. And you see the results of what seeking him first puts out there. Mm. I think that's pretty powerful by yeah. itself. Yeah, and I think we had talked last week that when when you when you look at the problem and all you can focus on is the problem and you put the problem solver out of your mind, the problem gets bigger and bigger yes. and bigger and bigger. And if Asa had done this, looking at this army that's that's it's almost twice as large as his, you know what I mean? It would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but he didn't. He didn't look at the problem without focusing his his sole attention on the problem solver. He glanced at the problem, saw it was big, and looked straight to the problem solver and says, I know you can win this. It doesn't make sense from man's perspective, but I know you can do it. Well, it's just like, you know, I mean, how 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 much longer did they have to stay in the wilderness because they they just focused on the problem? Forty years. Yeah. You know, they could have been in the promised land long before that, but you know, the 10 spies started talking different, like talking it down. It, oh, it's not that great, you know, or that we can't win that against the giants and this, oh, we can't win that war, you know, and you know, they relied on their own strength. They relied on their own self. Now, this is completely different. This shows the other end of that. What yeah. happens whenever you do rely on God, whenever you do put God first, whenever you rely on him for strength, you know, kind of, you know, it's the opposite. You know, we focused on that last week of what it does to not focus on God and focus on ourselves. Then this week we're in this and then, mm -hmm. you know, he's winning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to read the next few verses and, and highlight something here too. So this is right after he prays this, starting in verse 12. It says, So Yahweh routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, to understand the context of this, they're in an actual physical battle. So what's being described here is that, that the Most High gives them victory, but they actually fight this battle. So from their human perspective, it's, it's, it's they're, they're fighting and they're winning and the Ethiopians are running. There, there's nothing overtly supernatural that's being described here. It's a physical battle. 
that the most high is, is, is winning for them behind the scenes, if that kind of makes sense. But we don't have anything like fire from heaven raining down. It's a physical battle occurring. Goodness. That was Mike at that time. I'm going to call him out. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) One more. (laughs) Got to. Verse 13, Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before Yahweh and before his army, and they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of Yahweh had fallen on them, and they despoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So they fight this whole battle and win. They have time to, this whole physical battle, they win. The Ethiopians flee. They take the plunder. They go all the way back to Jerusalem. And then it says in verse, in chapter 15, now the spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, pause there. So when Asa, and this is important to understand this with the concept of waiting and how sometimes we don't get a direct response, a vocal response or an explanation of what's about to happen. Asa comes out to meet the Ethiopian and an an army of one million because he has no choice to because they're invading Judah. He has to meet him. He comes out, he forms a battle formation against the Ethiopian and his military, and then prays to the Most High. He leads a prayer for the people to the Most High to give them victory and then engages in the battle. He doesn't receive an actual response from the Most High until he gets all the way back to Jerusalem, which means that Asa had to just trust. He just had to trust that his prayer was answered, even though he didn't receive a vocal response saying, so God didn't send a prophet out to Asa before the battle and say, don't fear, you're going to win this battle. You can go into this battle without any fear at all because I've already won the battle for you. He doesn't get that. He doesn't receive a prophet, a prophetic response telling him, I've heard your prayer and I'm going to answer it for you. He has to trust. And I think that's often the point of the waiting room for us. Essentially, Asa was in a waiting room here. It was a, an active waiting. It was Kabah. He had to actually fight the battle. He had to lead the people to fight the battle. So it wasn't a passive sit down on the ground wait, but it was a spiritual wait that he had to engage in some sort of active He had to participate actively. And it wasn't until he comes back to Jerusalem that he receives the answer. I think that's the sort of trust that he's looking for in us. That when we pray something, we can keep acting on his behalf, keep serving him, keep seeking him like you talked about, Micah, right? In an active way, not a passive way, and trusting that he's answering, even if we don't hear him answering, even if we don't feel or or from our human perspective see him answering, just trusting that he is. And that what he's saying is right. That's what Asa had to do here. And he did it. And I think that's a, that's a very important lesson for us to take away that when we're in a similar period of waiting, we just have to trust that he's going to do the right thing, whatever that looks like for us. I think that's actually what we're going to take a, it's a good place to take a break before we move on to the next part of Asa's life. Uh, this week, we're going to play a song called Made to Leave by Exodus Road Band. Really great work from these guys. Hope you enjoy it and be sure and stick around and we'll continue on the other side. (laughs) 
I'm walking away from this truth you say keeps me alive. Cause it seems to me that love's on the run from your eyes. They cut me in two from the moment that you look my way. Seeking to judge every reason that I feel this way So tell me I'm crazy Cause I need more reason to stay Than blind dedication To words on a page I'm sorry just miss the feeling that made me believe I guess that's what happens when love's made to leave It seems to me that seeing has just made us blind The more that I look, the less love that I seem to Trade all your facts for one single act of true faith It's hopeless to think that your words are what's changing your faith So tell me I'm crazy Cause I need more reason to stay Than blind dedication to words on a page I'm sorry I just missed the feeling that's made me believe I guess that's what happens when love's made to leave
are back. Again, that was Made to Leave by Exodus Road Band. And I want to take the time now, rather than the end, to remind those of you listening, if you have any comments, questions, feedback, ideas for episodes, questions you'd like us to answer on the podcast, if you just want to reach out, be sure and find us. We can be found on Facebook at Broken Record Ministries. We can be, you can reach us via email at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. And you can find us here at Digging Deeper on Twitter at handle DD by BRM. With that in the rear view, let's drop the needle on the B side of the record. So where we left off was the victory of Asa over the Ethiopian. He prayed, he received victory, and now we're starting up in chapter 15. And it says this, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Yahweh is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So I'll pause there. I don't know how to put into words how impactful that statement is. I think the very beginning of it is the key. Um, hold on. The Lord is with you when you are with him. That's the key. You know, what? if you're with him, everything is good. You put him first. You include him in everything. You include him in even the simplest, minute tasks that you have to do throughout the day. I mean, it could be, you know, cleaning the bathroom or, you know, doing the dishes and stuff like that. And, you know, your thought processes are on God. It's not, I mean, and I think the thing is, is like we can do all these things, but still be focused on God. Mm-hmm. You know, we can go through all of our motions throughout life and still be focused on God or, you know, thinking about scripture, you know, going through your head of different ways to go about a, a, a verse that you read, <laughs> you know, a book that you, you know, ended up finding a paragraph that, that, that really stood out to you. You know, it doesn't have to be any certain area or whatever, just something in the aspects of being closer or being, you know, a little bit more knowledgeable or having a little bit more understanding of the grace that he gives. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to be able to go about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something I've heard you say a couple of times, Mike, and I really like it when talking about being filled with the spirit, you know, when you become a believer, you get the gift of the spirit, but you can be more or less filled. And you've said a couple of times that it's not that we need more of the spirit, it's that he needs more of us. Yes. And I really think that's what he's talking about here. Yep. Uh, when, 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 does he say it again? The Lord is with you when you are with him. You know, the closer you are with him, obviously the closer he is to you, it just the natural proximity. Right. And I think that's the whole purpose of like we've talked about at the top half, the waiting, the, the testing that he puts you through. It's to, it's to remove hindrances. <coughs> hindrances in the relationship. All right. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, God tells us that over and over and over again throughout the scriptures that he wants to be our God. He wants to be our guide. He wants to be that in our life. And yet so often we're 
distant from him. And you know, if he's our guide, then we should include him. Mm-hmm. Like, like you were talking about Sonny, when we yeah. wake up in the morning, okay, God, here's, here's what I got scheduled today. I want you to be in this. I want to, everything I say, everything I do, every text message I send, I want it to be filled with you. Yep. Even if it's just a, hi, how are you? I want it to be impactful and filled, filled with you because he is our guide. He is our, 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 our roadmap, if you will, that we, that we were to, that we were to follow. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us to understand that aspect of, of him being that, that guide, you know, the, the Proverbs tell us that a fool lives his life. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's not necessarily a denial of who God is like an atheist or agnostic it is more of a fool lives his life and God doesn't exist. So when we just go through our, our day, like God doesn't exist. And how often have we done that? How often have I done that in my life where I've just gone through my day without the acknowledgement of God mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of gone through the routine of life? Well, I've lived my life that day like a fool. Yep, absolutely. Because you know? yep. a fool lives his life as if God doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think that's why you see the contrast here. He, yes. he starts off, you know, the Lord is with you when you yep. are with him. If you seek him, he will let you find him, which I'm not sold on that translation. In the Hebrew, it's just, you'll, he'll be found by you. Um, but then he says, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It's a contrast, right? It's not because he's moving away from you. Yes. It's because you're moving away from him. Yes. When you turn around and you walk away from him, he's not moving. He's If you're f- farther away from God, it's not because he moved away from you. It's because you moved away from him. And that's what us is being warned about here. As long as you pursue the most high, he's with you. But if you walk away from him, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to forsake you. Just, you know, it's just the natural <clears throat> result of you walking away. You're no longer in proximity with the most high anymore. And there'll be consequences yeah. for that. And I think that's kind of the way I think that's kind of what I've been going through, you know, here lately, because there's been times to where I haven't done that, you know, and I hate to admit that, but I mean, that's just kind of the way that it is, yeah. you know, but, you know, I, I've, I've went through my days of, of just, going through the processes, putting my feet on the ground, getting up, you know, showering, making coffee, you know, and then work, you know, and then come home, go to bed, do it again the next day. Yeah. You know, it's just been a complete reoccurring event constantly. And, uh, you know, there's been times, there's been days where I haven't, I mean, I've, you know, you know, I, I think about stuff all the time. You know, I think about God. I think about, you know, different things, but I haven't included him in anything that I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, like I haven't been like, well, you know what? Uh, be with me whenever I'm doing this or, you know what I mean? It, yeah. I haven't included him. And so I think that's truthfully, I think that's what I've been going through here lately yeah. is because I think things are like I, I keep saying this, but they're kind of stagnant. You know, I'm kind of in that waiting period. And right now, like, you know, I've, I'm anxious. I'm I'm anxious for Friday. I'm also scared. I'm terrified for Friday because I don't want to say the wrong things or, you know, I still cuss. <laughs> I, I don't know how I have not done it on this podcast. <laughs> and it, you know, I... Do you know, you get around like, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's kind of being fake almost in a way, but like, you know, like here, it's not that hard for me, but you get me around the guys at work 
that's a whole different story, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, it's the power of environment. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I get around, you know, I mean, some people in a, in a rehab, we all act like fools kind of, you know what I mean? Like I, I've been there. I was just there six months ago, you know, tomorrow's my six months. And, uh, I, I'm a little worried about it, <laughs> but you know, I'm going to be handing out stuff, you know, to be able to, you know, uh, talk about broken records and, and, uh, you know, tell them how my path has went from, you know, just my first step was understanding that I needed help. I, I had to get out of the mindset of where I was. And then, you know, in there I got, I got a little bit closer to God, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And, and, you know, and God's delivered me from so many things. And then, you know, now I'm in a waiting period and I don't even include him in nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it, but it, it's kind of a smack in the face for me right now, but it's not bad to the point. I don't want to call it bad. It's not a bad smack in the face. It's just like, hey, come on. You already, attention you, getter. Yeah, you already know what's going on. You already understand. What are you doing? Hey, come on back over here. Come on back over here. I got you. Yeah. Just remember me. It's a tough thing to face, but it's an important thing to face. Yeah. Too. Like I say, it comes down to that revealing the heart, revealing what's lurking in your heart that, mm. that isn't good because we all have it. We all have yeah. something in our heart in this flesh nature that's hindering our relationship with him. We're, none of us are perfect, mm. but he's going to reveal it. That doesn't mean that he's not going to work, work it out of us. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, that's what, I mean, it, the convictions are, you know, they're, they're corrections. They're, um, I mean, I don't want to call it a, disciplinary action but i mean they kind of are mm-hmm. you know you're you're being formed to be better to be what he wants you to be and in all in all reality it becomes a witness it becomes a testimony you know all these things that you have changed or well he has changed in you is a testimony show other people what god does what god is and you know with this he will walk away from you you know that that's hard to that's hard to think but if you walk away from him i mean we always say you know god is always with us but we turn our back on him so many times in so many ways, you forsake him. I mean, this says right here, he will forsake you. I think it's important too to note that you can also read this in reverse, and it's just as accurate. You could just as accurately say, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But he's with you. Yeah. If you're with him, if you seek him out, he will let himself be found by you. Right. So even even in the forsaking, if you if you pivot and you acknowledge the error that you've committed, he's right there. He's right there with his hand out. Right. It's never that he leaves completely. It's just more or less of that. Okay, I'll let you do what you want. Yeah. You know, you want to turn your back? 
you want to go out in the world, you want to figure it out for yourself, by all means. You have the will, you have the power to do whatever you want to. But, you know, I, and that's the thing, like I've, in my life, so there's been so many times that I've wished washed back and forth. It's always been, okay, well, I'm here, God. I want to learn something. Oh, okay, well, that wasn't good enough, so I go back out into the world you know, and go do whatever stupid stuff I did and then turn around, oh, okay, God, well, I need you again. I gotta, I'm kind of stuck here. I don't know what to do. You know, I go to him for advice and go back out into the world. It's like a prodigal son, you know, it was just, uh, except for it was happening over and over and over and over. <laughs> but, um, you know, and that's the thing. I, this time now, it is, he's just keep, keeps molding and I don't know. I love it. Then I hate it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit it on the head earlier when you said it's not so much of a forsaking as much as it is him allowing us to, if we continue to go our separate ways and continue to <clears throat> continue to stray into our sinful ways, he's a holy God. He's not going to go down that path with us. Right. right. But he, you, know, you think of Israel when they cried for a king and God tells them, you don't need a king. I am your king. Well, we want a king like other nations, but you're not like other nations. You're separate. Mm -hmm. Well, if a king's going to do this, 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 he's going to tax you. He's going to take your property. He's going to enforce a draft. He's going to do all these things. But if that's what you want, that's, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to. I think so. So it's not so much a forsaking as much as it is. If we want to continue to live in our disobedience and continue to stray away from him, which we do in our flesh, he's not going to go down that path with us. We think of the cross, you know, where Christ takes your sin and my sin, bears it upon himself, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a forsaking in the sense that he, it's an abandonment or leaving. It's, it's a forsaking in the sense that at that moment, I can't look on sin. I'm a holy, righteous God. I can't look on sin. Yeah. And so, therefore, I'm not, I'm not going down that path with you. Right? I think. And I, and I hope that explains it a little bit better than. It's than, more of a turning of head. You know, yeah, it's, it kind of turns it's, away. It's not that he's not with us. It's that he's not going down that path with us. Yeah. He's not going to guide us in the way of disobedience. He's going to lead us in the way of truth. Yeah. Explain that. It, yes. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, because I think it's, I can't stress enough. If, if you find yourself separated from the most highs, cause you yes. walked away. Yes. He didn't, he didn't willingly walk away from yes. you. You walked away from him and, and that's what created the natural separation. Yeah. And he's willing to bridge that gap. He, he shows us, you know, he gives us the way. Through Jesus, he's he's willing to bridge that gap for us, but we have to have a heart of willingness that seeks him out. Right. That that term's important to seek yeah. him, to be willing to seek him. I think I mean, he, we think of the prodigal son. We've talked sorry, I didn't mean no, to cool. but you know, we've talked about the prodigal son on this podcast before. You know, while he's riotously living and out doing, you know, far from the father, you know, the father's not necessarily with him, but the father's still in heart with him, you know, uh, he's still his waiting. Eyes are on yeah, him still. Yeah, yeah, he's still waiting for him to to return back to him, and that's what our heavenly Father does with us. He mm -hmm. waits for us, urges us, pleads with us to turn back, turn back to him. Absolutely. I don't remember what I was. Sorry, <laughs> just interrupt me if you think of it. So the prophet continues in verse three: For many days Israel was out was without the true God and without teaching priest and without law. Again, not because God wasn't there, because they strayed away from him. 
they they were refusing to obey. They didn't have anybody that was teaching his ways. They weren't listening to his ways. They strayed away. Verse four, but in their distress, they turned to Yahweh, God of Israel, and they sought him and he let them find him. Again, this is what I talked about earlier. You can read that in reverse. And that's what he's showing mm-hmm. here. They strayed away. They forsook him. And then consequence came. And as soon as they cried out in distress, what does he do? He rescues them. Yep. Because he loves them. Verse five, in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation, this, this verse is sobering. Verse six, nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every kind of distress. God troubled them. I think too often we, uh, we take the conviction that we're receiving or the discipline we receive for ignoring the conviction and we blame the, the devil for it. Mm-hmm. It's the devil doing it. It's spiritual warfare. It's an attack. It can be those things. Yeah. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. It's absolutely real. But I think too often we blame the devil for things that God's bringing into our life because he's correcting us. God troubled them. It says, let me tell you something. If God's the cause of your trouble, you better do some serious reflecting and evaluating, right? That's the time to start listening. He's right there. He's willing to take you back, but you've got to start listening and stop making excuses for ignoring the cause of the trouble. That's why it's so important to inquire of him. Why is this happening? Why is this coming to my world? Is there something unclean in me? Is there something that needs purged? Am I hindering my relationship with you in some way? Show me, reveal that to me. That needs to be the prayer. Reveal what's hindering my relationship with you, God, and take it from me. It's a scary one, too. It is. It's one that a lot of people don't want to do. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. It's one of those hard prayers that Bob talks about all the time. Mm-hmm. Dangerous prayers, yeah. Like patience. Patience is, I, I won't ever pray for patience again. <laughs> probably I, wise. I, I, I prayed for it one time, one time only, and I will never do it again. Yeah. I, I become patient out there in other ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but praying, you know, praying for, for these things, I've, I've made those prayers. I've made those prayers to show me what I need to be closer to you. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because he'll end up showing you some stuff that you didn't even realize that you don't even think of on a daily basis. Yeah. That you, I mean, you do like you just do them out of habit or you, you think them out of habit. Maybe it's a, a way of thinking about possibly uh, somebody or something or, you know, and there's, there's times to where it's hard to, it's hard to understand how to take correction on a consistent basis because we're going to do this until the day we die. Mm-hmm. We're going to be corrected until the day we pass. And once learning how to be able to take correction every single day when it's humbling 
Yeah. To be willing to receive it, not despise it. Right. And a lot of people, I mean, I, I was one of them that I got corrected and I'd run away. Yeah. I got corrected. I'd run away. Now it's correction after correction after correction. And now it's like, okay, well, it's all right. <laughs> Fine. <sighs> but you know, it's just, I, I understand now more than I ever have about being able to understand or to feel the correction instead of run away from it. Mm -hmm. Feeling like I've, I understand why he wants me to, because there's certain things that he's kind of revealed or, you know, been like, okay, well, there's this, well, that's really not good. There's another one that's, that one's not as bad, but you still have it and it hinders you for me. And there's a really big one that just drives me insane now and I hate it, but, um, flesh takes over sometimes still. And, uh, I'm, I never understood what hatred of sin is until like recently, like in, I'm, I've never, I've never felt that. And the, the grievance process of it is, is horrible mm -hmm. mindset wise, heart, heart set wise. But, um, you know, it's come to a fact of, I think he's, he's showing me what they felt, what they've, they've wrote so many times in the Bible of grieving the, the flesh and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to understand. Like you just read the words and you're like, man, I don't know what, I don't know what that means or like the gnashing of teeth and all that stuff. And it's just like, I'm starting to understand a little bit. When I think that's also evidence of the transformation, when you start genuinely hating your sin, you know, yes. you don't view it as just, well, it's something that he doesn't want me to do, but you know, I probably shouldn't do that. Or you're making excuses for it to a point where you genuinely loathe it. And we, yeah. we saw that in, in Ezekiel chapter 36, part of that, that prophecy about what it's like to be led by the spirit. And part of that was that they would loathe themselves in account of their sins. They would mm -hmm. look at the sins they committed and they would genuinely have a loathing for it because they would finally see their sin through his eyes. Yeah. As part of what being led by the spirit is, is seeing things through his eyes and it changes your perspective on stuff. And it, that's part of the process of changing your mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of, <clears throat> I was looking forward here. I can't find the passage. I do the things I hate, and I hate the things that I do. I can't remember where that's from. I'm trying to find it, but uh, Romans. Um, is it Ro is that it, which I do? I, I hate isn't it Romans? Can't remember. Romans or Corinthians? Yeah, it's one of those two. Yeah, here it is. Now, if I do what I do not want, is it no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me? Mm. That's Romans uh, seven twenty from the ESV version. And as you were speaking, Sonny, that's what popped into my head. Um, how many times do you know 
you're being worked on by God to change a behavior or a thought process or a heart condition. You go, oh, I hate that. Why do I do that? And then you're saying, I'm not going to do that again. And, 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 you, and you take it upon yourself. And that's the problem. You take it upon yourself to, to try and beat this. Mm-hmm. Instead of just giving it to him. Exactly. You try to do it on your own and, you know, we already you can't know. do it. I, I mean, your that's, own. that's where this, this, this whole study is going, you know, um, you know, the, the reliance on him, the right. Putting him in everything. And I'm still learning how to do that. I'm still learning how to be able to change my, my mind and my mind, my mindset and, you know, just the way I live life. Because pretty much all of this is new for me. I'm yeah. 37 years old, and all of this is new for me. You know, um, so it's just I've never, ever in my life hated, in, I guess, just an action of my own. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of feeling, different kind of weirdness about, you know, how you think of yourself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't want to think of yourself like that, uh, but you know, it's, it's a correction. So it's just like, okay, well, fine. All right, let's go. Let's do this. I just, I don't know how to keep going on. <laughs> I'm going, I'm, my mind's going about 40,000 miles an hour now. So, well, you know, Seeking God first is, is hard. Something I started a while back was I try and go to sleep every night thinking and praising him, being thankful. And I say to myself before, you know, I, I don't know when I fall asleep, but I fall, try to fall asleep thinking about my relationship with him. And one of the last things I, I try and say before I fall asleep is, please, when I, you allow me to wake up in the morning, make you the first thing that I think of in that morning. That's that's kind of how I do it. I don't know if it helps or not, but it seems to help me. I don't know. I, I, I fall asleep much better dwelling on his word and meditating on things I read that day or thought about. And I wake up thinking, Lord, let your will be done today. Let me shine your light, if that's your will, to someone who needs it. That's how I, I try and go to sleep every night, thinking about those things. Well, I was going either, Sonny, so don't feel bad. <laughs> All right, verse 7, this is the last, the last thing the prophet says. He says, but you, Asa, be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Now, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of Yahweh, which was in front of the porch of Yahweh. I find that interesting because that means that there were, there were some high places that he had left alone at some point. So we're, we're told he already went through a campaign of destroying the high places and the Asherim and stuff. But apparently there were some things left. So after this, this prophet speaks this to him, he, he takes courage and he removes the rest of it. 
and even repairs the altar in the temple, which apparently had fallen into disrepair. So they were neglecting the service of, of the Most High in the temple as well, and he, he corrected that, that mistake. Verse 9, He gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who resided with them, for many defected to him from Israel when they saw that Yahweh his God was with him. So these are people from the northern kingdom that are coming down to live in Judah because they want to serve the Most High because of what's happening in the Nobody in the northern kingdom serves the Most High. <laughs> their kings, I don't think they had one good king their entire existence. I know they didn't. Like all their kings were, were told did evil. So we have a couple different points at which we, we see defectors come down to dwell in Judah. We, we have it here. I think it happens also in the, the reign of Hezekiah, I believe. Happened a couple different times that defectors came to serve, to serve God. Verse 10, so they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. They sacrificed to Yahweh that day 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into the covenant to seek Yahweh, God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. I love that. Mm-hmm. Entered into a covenant to seek with all their heart and soul. Heart there is labab, and it means your mind or your will. And soul is nefesh, and it means your life or yourself or your whole being. Your 10%. They're, yeah, your absolute everything. They pledged to seek him with their whole person, heart and soul. Mindset plus output. That's what they're saying. They're going to serve with their whole mind and everything they do with their whole life, their whole self. Mindset plus output. They're going to serve him with everything they have. And then we're told, skipping down to verse 15, so Yahweh gave them rest on every side. Because they make this pledge to seek him with their whole heart, with everything they have, he gives them rest. And that reminds me of Matthew uh, 6.33. really does. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. We see that at play here. They sought him first. They sought his righteousness first, his kingdom, and he gave them rest on every side. Okay, verse 16, he also removed Makah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook he drew. And this was actually his grandmother. Um, the Hebrew, the, the way in the Hebrew you think of mother is a little bit different than the way we do. She was, she was a grandmother to him. She was actually his father, his father Abijah's mother. She had served as queen mother during his reign as well. And this is awesome to me because this shows at this point in Asa's life, he actively loved the Most High more than even his own family. Like his own grandmother he deposes because she was refu- refusing to serve the Most High and worshiping in, in, in Asherim. Which reminds me of Matthew ten thirty seven, right? Love me more than more than father and mother, and he's not. By the way, I just want to clarify: Jesus isn't telling us to hate our family or to hate our friends or to not love. What he's saying is, he's not saying to love your mother, your father, your family less. He's saying to love me more. Mm-hmm. It's really important. It's it's important. What he's actually saying there is that it's not that you should hate your mother and your father. <laughs> it's that your love for the Most High, your love for Jesus, should be so much that by comparison, your love for anyone else looks might look like hate. It's not actually hate, but it shouldn't even be comparable. Your love for Jesus and your love for the Father, it shouldn't even be comparable to your love for anybody else, right? It should be that much more like every year is your first in everything. You seek him first in everything. And we see that at play with King Asa here, which makes where this goes even sadder. 
verse 17. But the high places, and I love this verse too. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. That speaks powerfully to me. He, he, he failed to, to remove everything. And, and this is a command, by the way, like removing the high places isn't just something you did because you felt led to. Numbers chapter 33, verse 52 commands it. If, if high places, which is, is, a, is a reference to a pagan shrine, yep. if a high place is found in Israel, they were commanded by the Most High to tear it down, to destroy it. This wasn't just something that, well, I, I woke up and I felt led by the Spirit to do this today. No, this was commanded. This is something that was expected. And he didn't fully fulfill that, really. We know that high places continued to exist later. And <coughs> still, the Most High calls his heart blameless in this point, which shows me he's, he's not expecting, per, he wants perfection. He expects perfection. Let me be careful how I word this. He wants perfection. He also knows he's not going to get it. What he's looking for is a whole heart. And that's what you see here. That word blameless is shalem, and it means complete, at peace, or wholly devoted. What he's saying is his heart was wholly devoted to the Most High at this point. He wasn't perfect, but his heart was wholly devoted to the Most High, and his actions, his output proved it. Yeah. I, think of, I think of David, you know, a man after God's own heart. Well, mm-hmm. we all know his story. You know, he's a murderer and adulterer and some of those things. How could he be a man of God, <clears throat> man after God's own heart? Well, He's his his desire was to serve God. Did he fail? Yes, he failed. Will we fail? Yes, we will fail. But our desire is to not let it defeat us and not let not let it deflate us, but to brush ourselves off and to continue to serve him and do better as we grow in that and learn from it. Yeah. This is why I get a little frustrated when I hear it preached as if before Jesus it was a law issue. The law was the problem. And after Jesus, Jesus takes away the law and corrects that. It was never a law issue. It was always a heart issue. The issue was the heart. The law is just God's definition of right and wrong, his definition of holiness, right? His, his way of explaining to us what is abominable to him, what is not, how to properly approach him, how to serve him, how to love him, how to worship him, how to love our neighbor. That's what the law defines. That wasn't the problem. The problem was always our heart, the heart that, that we let become divided and pull us away from, from him and his ways to cause us to walk away and forsake him. That's always been the problem. And, and that would have been the problem whether he gave the law at Sinai or not. Right. Like that had nothing to do with it. Clearly, there was a heart issue before Sinai, mm-hmm. right? There was a heart issue in the garden. Yes. And they had one rule. Right. So the idea <laughs> that re- removing a bunch of rules, I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The yeah. idea that, that, that Jesus solved the problem by removing a bunch of rules and simplifying the rules, Adam and Eve had a very simple rule set. Mm-hmm. Don't eat the fruit on that one tree and have everything else. And they couldn't even comply with that. So if you think the solution is to simplify the rules, you're not reading the Bible. You're not reading the Bible. That's not the problem. The problem is the heart. That's the problem. And that's what he corrected. He didn't correct that by, by giving us a license to trample all over his grace and sin all we want. That's not what the solution was. That's bad doctrine. I don't care how popular the doctrine is. It's bad doctrine. He gave us an easier way to get to him. Yes. He simplified the approach which has to do with our heart. It's exactly. the uncleanness in our heart. And you know, <laughs> gave us a way to be able to clean our heart easier. You know, yeah. a, a, a way to I, approach I, the most high. Yeah. I hate to call it an easy way because it's not easy, but 
I mean, then again, we don't have to do all the sacrifices. The law didn't go away. I mean, some of it did. I guess with we don't sacrifice no more, right? I mean, that went away. But realistically, they didn't sacrifice during the Babylonian captivity either, though, because like there were points where the temple had been destroyed. So yeah, that was that was an that was an act of the Most High to destroy the temple. But that had happened before Jesus at points also. Right. And that's a rabbit trail. But there are yeah. prophecies about sacrifices coming back in in the Millennial Kingdom. I mean, Hebrews tells us that Hebrews it tells us to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Right. It's and so like the, again, it's the, a rabbit trail that will take us way of, way yeah. apart from the subject. But yeah. I think there is sacrifice today. It's a sacrifice of our heart, sacrifice right. of praise. You know, over and over throughout the scriptures, you see, you know, is the sacrifices that we're making a sweet smell to God, or is it a putrid odor, right. or a, <clears throat> a vulgar odor? Yeah, and that that's the aroma of our heart. That's not the sacrifice. Not literal, that's not a literally sacrifice that we kill an animal and slay it on an altar. But it is a sacrifice of our life and our heart to him. I think and what you're I striking think, I mean, at is the spiritual application yes. compared to the physical. Yes. Right? yes. Yep. So uh, <clears throat> I think we do still do that today. Right. The law was always pointing to the solution. Yeah. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the important way to understand it. Like the sacrificial system, the temple system was always pointing to the solution. Jesus birth and death was just the point in time that that solution was actualized. Right. It doesn't cancel out what, what was pointing to that solution. That's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a very overly simplistic way to view the law. And I, I, it, I cringe a little bit because it, it leads us to disregarding aspects that have nothing to do with that. And again, that's a rabbit trail, but I, I think it's really important to study the whole text. That's why it's so important to not, not let that dividing, that dividing page between Malachi and Matthew cause you to not read what came to the left of it, because it's really important to understand that. Yes. To understand, for example, what Paul's talking about in many of his letters, you really have to understand what he's writing about mm -hmm. to, to really fully grasp it. You really do. But then we come to chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of Yahweh and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So he robs God. The, the silver and gold he takes out of the treasuries, if you go back to, find that in Second Chronicles chapter 5, when Solomon dedicates the temple. It says that when he dedicated the temple, he added the gifts that his father David had dedicated to the Most High and put those gifts in the treasury. And again, Asa wasn't very far removed from this. Solomon was just his grandfather or his great grandfather. So it's not like this was centuries later and it was forgotten. He knew exactly what he was doing. These, these gifts in the treasury were things that were dedicated to the Most High by David. And Asa robs that and robs it to pay a pagan king for help and doesn't pray to God once. So the complete opposite of what we see earlier in his reign, when Shishak, or not Shishak, when the Ethiopian invades. Mm -hmm. When the Ethiopian invades, yeah, he made preparations, but he depended upon, he depended upon the, the resources that God had blessed him with and then prayed to the Most High and gave him all the credit. In this case, 
he robs God and tries to pay off a pagan king for help and doesn't ask the Most High for help at all. He doesn't depend on him at all. And then it says, it says this, So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Eon, Dan, Abel-Mayim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. Then Basha heard of it. He ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basa had been building, and with them he fortified Gaza, or Gibah and Mizpah. Verse 7, At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and have not relied on Yahweh your God, therefore the army of King Aram has escaped out of your hand. So what he's saying is if he hadn't done this, he would have allowed Asa to destroy the armies of Aram too. He would have given him complete victory over Basha and Ben-Hadad if he had just relied on him, but he didn't. Verse 8, were not the Ethiopians and Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on Yahweh, he delivered them into your hand. I love this verse. Verse 9, for the eyes of Yahweh move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. And this is a natural consequence, by the way. This is, I believe, the wars that he's going to receive. It's not even... it. It is sort of punishment, but it's really a natural consequence because of the ripple effect of what he had done. Because if he had depended upon the Most High, the Most High would have given him complete victory over Basha and Benadad, which were the two armies that were troubling him. And they wouldn't have been any trouble anymore. But because he refused to depend on the Most High and try to do things his own way, try to play by his own tune instead of the tune of the Most High and pay off Benadad, now, both of these armies survive, and they'll continue to trouble him in the future. So the wars he experiences are a natural consequence of depending upon his own way, which turned out to not be as good as what Yah's way would have been. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. And I love that verse, too, that his eyes move to and fro throughout the earth. He is constantly looking at the hearts of men, seeking those who have a heart that's willing to be his. Can't you can't be outside of his gaze? I think that's that's important for what we talked about earlier. You know, even when you when you walk away from him, you're not outside of his gaze. Yep. Even when you're outside of his presence, you're not outside of his sight line. He's still looking. Yep. And when you turn, like the you know, mentioned the prodigal son, when you climb out of the pig pen, and your heart is is committed to return, he sees that, and he runs to you. He's he's right there waiting, but your heart has to belong to him. This is the point at which Asa could have repented. He could have done what Rehoboam did when we read earlier that Rehoboam humbled himself, said Yahweh is righteous. That's not what Asa does. Verse 10, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. What does that tell us about the crack that existed in Asa's heart? He was scared. I think it did start with fear, absolutely. I think his fear of Basha 
led him to to make some mistakes <clears throat> i mean i i think it started off with fear and uh instead of going to god he relied on his own and so he stole from the 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 temple to be able to i mean he didn't care who could help him so he went to a pagan king and you know then then now you know that fear i mean it, which in all reality it's what happens fear turns into after so long fear turns into anger and anger wrath or whatever and you know i mean we're getting into i mean he just put a seer in prison for speaking the truth yeah mm -hmm. so, which says a lot by the way about hanani I have a feeling Hanani knew there was a good chance that was going to happen to him, and he still obeyed. Yeah. Tells us a lot about his heart. Yeah. Which I mean, we see we see so many times in the Old Testament where it's where it's um, you know the 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 kings. I mean, mighty kings. I mean, kings. A lot of. I mean, well just say probably 85% of everybody probably has heard of in some way, shape or form, even if they're not Christian, even if they're not, you know, in the Bible or anything else. I mean, David and Goliath, you know what I mean? And some of these Kings, they, 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 they've been hurt, you know, they're heard of and mighty and, you know, God loves them and God has, you know, blessed them with different victories and different, you know, kingdoms or different, you know, in some way, shape or form, God has acknowledged them and made them known. Right. He has given them the, the a little bit of glory in it. Um, but then they have also turned their back on God. They have also let, let fear or some sin get in the way. But then, I mean, there's also different, different endings. This one. I don't know how this one ends. <laughs> you know, we haven't, we haven't got there yet. So. We're getting very close. I'm reminded of the story of walking on water, Jesus walking on water. As long as your eyes are on the most high, it can be done. Yeah. And, and then he looked away. And he looked away and began to sink. His eyes were on the most high during the fight with the Ethiopians. But he did not put his eyes on the Lord when he was threatened by the king of Israel. Instead, he, he he took his eyes off of him, and he more or less began to sink in the water. That's a very good connection. It's exactly with the way this started. Us took his eyes off off Yahweh, and he was warned. That, you know, if Yahweh wasn't willing to 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 take him back here, he wouldn't have bothered to send the prophet. He sent the prophet as a warning. Mm -hmm. The key to me in identifying what what spiraled Asa, because how do you go from being as on fire as he was to being like this? And it's that last phrase. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. 
He had no reason to do this, right? His anger should have been directed at the, at the prophet or at the seer. But it says he started oppressing people also. And I think that gives us the clue as to what the Karakanas' heart was. And I think it was a lack of love. I think Asa had a, a dangerous lack of love. And I think that was the crack that the devil was able to put a chisel and hammer to to shatter everything. Absolutely shatter it. And that's why it's so important to let the Most High reveal the cracks in our heart to us before they get to the point that it did with Asa here. Because he let it shatter him. Verse 11, now the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek Yahweh, but the physicians. Then Asa slept with his fathers. This goes back to what he was warned about earlier that uh, God brings trouble sometimes. And I think that's what God was doing here with Asa. Asa didn't listen to the prophet. He didn't repent. He responded in a very ugly, negative way. And I believe the trouble that God brought was this disease to get his attention. And I think this highlights too, uh, we talked about conviction. And I think that sometimes we conflate the idea of conviction with discipline. I think those are two different things. Conviction is when he gets your attention about something you're doing wrong. So the prophet here coming to Asa, that was conviction. That was God convicting Asa. The disease in the feet was the discipline. That was the consequence. And he could have responded to and received the discipline and sought the most high. It wouldn't say this. He did not seek Yahweh, but the physicians. The reason it says that is because seeking Yahweh was an option for him. He could have. I 100, 110% believe he could have sought Yahweh and Yahweh would have heard and forgiven him and restored him in some form or, 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 or another, but he didn't. He despised the discipline and sought physicians instead. Physicians, by the way, is not a great translation. It's, it's, that phrase is barobayim. It's, it's from the Hebrew rafa. It literally just means healers. It doesn't appear very often in scripture. We don't really fully know what this is. If it's, if it's like the, our, our idea of a doctor or if it's, it's more of a, something more spiritual, don't really know. The point, that's not the point of the text here, though. The point is he was seeking after human healers over Yahweh Rapha. Instead of looking to Yahweh as his healer, he was looking to people. He was looking everywhere, but exactly like you said, Mike, he refused to bring his eyes back on the Most High. Right. Refused to. And this, it wasn't like Peter who just did it out of fear. I think at first with Asa, it was out of fear. At this point, I think it was out of bitterness. And that's scary because bitterness, the, that bitter root, it's, it's so easy for the weed of bitterness to take root in our heart. It's so hard to get it out. Once it starts growing and once we water it and once it starts spreading, it's so hard to get that out. It's a deep root. Yes. And it spreads. And it spread for Asa. And it was the death of him. Literally. Literally. It's a, the, Asa is one of the most tragic, hard to read cautionary tales in scripture, in my opinion, because of how he started mm-hmm. compared to where he ended. And we need to take that caution very seriously, in my opinion. You know, but that's a, that's a story 
that is repeated over and over again, even in modern day today. You see it all the time. You do. You know, I'm not doubting mega churches, but how many of them have you seen bad things happen at? And I can't help believe that they started off on fire for the Lord with their eyes focused on Him. And then their Asherpole money, power, <laughs> crept into to the ministry and it took root. Look at all the influence we have. Look at all the money we have. I, I think it's a tale that is retold over and over again and will continue to be retold over and over again. The problem is, sadly, yeah, history repeats itself, and most of the time we're too stupid to read the history books. You know what's stunning? You know, we kind of talked a little bit about prophecy earlier, even in the, in the millennial reign, thousand-year reign of Christ, we're told that at the end of a thousand years of being ruled by the perfect kingdom of Jesus, Jesus ruling on earth for us in the most perfect way imaginable from Jerusalem, this incredible uh, you know, uh, just just this incredible time period of a 1,000 rule, 1,000 year reign under him. People rebel at the end of it. Satan's released and he's able to convince people to rebel against him at the end of that. Just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Imagine, you know, God by a cloud through the day and fire at night. You're seeing it, you're there, but yet you're able to, they're able to walk away take their eyes off the most high when it's in front of them. Now I've never experienced yeah. a cloud of God above me or fire at night. You haven't? Hmm. I have not. <laughs> Neither have I. But I mean, talk about empirical proof. What more, do, what more do people need? Yeah. We need that today. I, that's what, that's really where I'm going. I mean, we, yeah. We, I mean, how often are we on fire for God and we're ready to serve him and then something happens? You doubt him. You know? Yeah, we doubt. Yep. Whether that's a money issue, a family issue, some kind of sickness, whatever it is, something something happens and we do exactly what we're talking about. We take our eyes off him and begin to focus on the problem. Well, I've got this sickness or I've got this family issue or I've got this financial problem or I've got you know whatever it is for, for you, fill in the blank. And we begin to focus on that instead of focusing on the one that, that can guide us through that. Absolutely. Yep. The Bible's full of examples of what happens when we don't focus on him. And, and we are just like Israel. We go through these patterns of, of great blessing and walking with him. And then we fall away and God has to correct us. And yep. we, <laughs> we get back on track and fall away. And we're, we're just like that. I mean, that pattern that pattern continues in 2023 just as much as it did when the Israels were let out, Israelites were let out of Egypt. Absolutely. Let's pull the needle. Final thoughts. My final thought is, I think you hit it on the head when you said, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And then all these things will, will be added into when we seek him first in our life. There's lots of things that we can seek and lots of things that we do seek. And the devil's the master manipulator, the master deceiver that will distract us and lure us with things of, of this world and things of this flesh. And we get sidetracked and we take our eyes off him. We have enough faith, like we talked about Peter, we just referenced. We have enough faith to get out of the boat. Yeah. 
and not enough to keep our eyes on him to stay walking on the, on the water. And so to seek first, what are we seeking in our life? And is it him first or is it something different? Well, I guess mine would be condition of the heart. Because unless your heart is in the proper condition, you're not going to seek the most high first. Yes. So I pray that people, myself included, that we dig in and learn what we need to learn, take the corrections as a correction. Same way you learn math. You don't get all your math problems right the first time you go through them. No, you get back a corrected piece Forever, of paper. Forever, if you're me. Oh, exactly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> or you get back to correct a piece of paper. You go, oh, okay, what did I do wrong here? If we view correction as a way to, to better, be better, to walk more closely with the Most High, I think that's what the corrections are there for. But so often, like you said, Micah, we, we, we tend to get, bitter or almost butthurt because we're being corrected. I hate to use that term, but that's really what happens. It's a better way to put it <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, that's it. I'm done. And I think that's, that's huge because being, I, it's like pouting. It, it is. I it's, mean, it's like a child. Yeah. And you know, that's, God wants us to be childlike in our faith because a child puts faith into their parents and, you know, they don't, they don't worry about anything of the world. Their little world is, is small and, and they have so much, drive to learn things and to understand things and to un and that's what god wants from us you know i'd like to add to that sonny when you're a child who is your problem solver who do you look to mommy and daddy your father and mother yeah but yet we we, we unlearn that as we get older because we're more reliant on ourselves, ourselves yeah. our flesh and then you know eventually you become daddy or mommy and then you know you you think that you know it all <laughs> or you think that you have all this knowledge about you and you're going to be you're just going to be okay or maybe you don't maybe you're a train wreck and you don't really care and you just live life on life terms and take it as it comes but then usually your life's a train wreck and you don't know what to do and you have spastic crazy moments that nothing ever goes right. But then like here, just he began with God and he fell without. And I don't, I don't know about the end of this, but the 39th year of his reign. So how old was Asa? Uh, I don't remember how old he was when he started. It, that would have been two years. He, he reigned 41 years total. Yeah. So he reigned 41 years. 
And in the beginning of this, of what we're studying, I was just wondering how many years that would be. But I, I guess it doesn't really matter. I guess my final thought is, is that <clears throat> acknowledging God throughout life doesn't matter what it is. Putting him in with it. Always making sure that God walks with you. And your heart will be better. Your heart will be right. Your mind will change. And I don't know how many times I've ended up doing a post about this. It's mostly, um, if you put God in your life, everything else will change. Yeah, absolutely it will. It doesn't matter what you think or what you do. God will change it. And that is the ultimate, actually. I mean, that's the, that's the goal of life, putting him within it. And then everything else changes. I'd like to add to that study. I think getting rid of ourself, we should, we're not in control. We have to relinquish that control. I think that's important that he's in control, that he has the master plan. I think that's part of the problem is that we think we are. Right. Control is and a true illusion. I mean, we can control. He, he will let us control. He'll let us control. You know, we'll, we'll go out and we'll go do whatever we want to. Because if I wanted to, I could just go right now, go take a vacation day and go drink. I could control that. I can go do that. But does he want me to do that? No, he don't want me to do that because he wants me here. He wants me being here with you guys. He wants me understanding what life is about mm -hmm. because what I was doing before, that's not what life was about. But isn't that will that he gives us? And that's the will, but you know, and he will let us lead a path of destruction if we want to. But That's he gives us a heart whenever we decide to follow him. He gives us a heart that will grieve if we do that. We will grieve the whole time that we are in that destruction. Now, with me, this 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 whole final thought is basically I I needed this. I needed this whole whole deal. But just like last week, I didn't study at all. But it meant more to me whenever I didn't study than if I would have, truthfully, because this is kind of, I got to get my heart back right. Because it's not that it's lost. It's not that it's wrong. It's just there's, it, there's more effort to be put in, you know, and um, the, th the part where, Sin is the corrections of your life, the corrections of what you're doing and how they're hindering you from God. They're hindering you from the, the closeness. Um, I think, I think God does them 
in that way to make you understand his glory, his holiness. Because this 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 little waiting period has been kind of an eye opener now since since um I've never hated anything that I've done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh I think that's a, a growing process that he's kinda he's kinda given me and it's it's had to be to where I've kind of had to seclude myself and understand why, why, why do I hate this? Why do I not? Why can't I stop doing this? And uh, it's not that I, I don't do it because it's, I don't know. Actually, I don't even want to go there no more, but um, I've, I've enjoyed this one because it's, it shows shows a, a king glorifying God in the beginning, and then he falls. And what is the lesson in that? He falls because he was relying on himself. He was relying on other things in this world. And he, he lost his path. He chose something else. So with that, just always keep always keep God first because with God first with God within your life I mean you're you're on the right path stay with it this account gets to me because you can just you can almost feel the eternal father's desperation to get him back mm -hmm. when he strays away you can almost feel it as palpable Come out the, the the account really to me it's about reliance. You, that that word was exactly the right word. Reliance. It wasn't about the the worldly preparations. We saw we saw Asa make preparations when the Ethiopian invaded, but he was relying on the Most High throughout. When Basha invaded, it was the opposite. He made preparations, but with the wrong heart. He wasn't relying on the Most High. He was relying on himself, and he proved that by his actions afterward. And I think it was all based on, like I say, a lack of love and also doubt. There was doubt there. You ever heard of a guy named Charles Templeton? Well, I heard of Billy Graham, right? Oh yeah. So early. Charles. Oh, I think I think I've heard the name. I don't remember where, but early in uh, Billy Graham's evangelistic career. In the 40s, I think, is when that started, when he started doing those tent crusades and stuff. It wasn't just Billy Graham. It was actually a two-by-two -two scenario. He actually had an evangelistic partner named Charles Templeton. And he's actually the one that most people believe would, would be the individual. They, they thought he was really the skilled evangelist and the one that was really spirit-led and the one that was going to turn the world upside down. And... Uh, And Charles started to doubt. He started asking questions and, and doubting the biblical text. Decided to go to Princeton to do a, a critical analysis of Christianity. And I think you guys know where that, that led. He even tried to draw Billy Graham into doubting with him. 
Billy Graham was clear. He's like, you know, I'm, I choose to believe what the Bible says. You know, I'm not going to question it. I'm, I'm, I'm not playing that game. And they split. And they split. And Charles Templeton eventually became an avowed, he, he went from being a Christian evangelist partnered with Billy Graham to an agnostic, to an atheist. And I think it was in 2001, not long before his death, he wrote a book called Farewell to God in which he he not only defended his departure from faith in God, he encouraged others to do the same. Essentially evangelized doubt. And a couple years later, he he gave a final interview to Lee Strobel. And he was describing his previous faith. And at one point in the interview, he was was describing Jesus and the characteristics of Jesus, who he quote-unquote was from his perspective, who he is. How he was just, from his view, the most incredible figure that ever that ever touched our earth. And at one point, he stopped, he paused, and his shoulders slumped and tears welled up in his eyes, and he said, I miss him. I miss him. But he didn't follow that up with, take me back. Just, I miss him. Walked away. Because there was a crack of doubt in his heart. And he let Satan take a hammer and chisel to it and shatter it. Absolutely shatter it. We've got to let the Most High reveal those things in us. It's hard to face it, but we've got to let him reveal that in us. And deal with those things before before it leads us on a very ugly path. But he is right there willing to take us back if we would follow up. I miss him with, let me come home. We read from Psalm 40 earlier, and I want to close that psalm out. Starting in verse 11, it says, You, O Yahweh, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, Yahweh be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. It's right there. It's right there. And he will take you back. You've got to be willing to reach out your hand to him. That is the end of the record. Those of you listening, I want to thank you for including us in your day. We pray, as always, that this has been an encouragement, an edification, and that it only serves to magnify him and to, to lead you closer to him for his name's sake alone. For his name's sake alone. And this has been Digging Deeper, a publication of Broken Record Ministries, and we will catch you on the flip side. Okay.
death and he mastered it He's a king, he's coming back from righteous war to establish it Yeshua, I'm a Shia, you my lord, I confess it If I die in battle for you, that'd be a beautiful blessing I got the fire in me, ain't no retiring I'ma keep looking skyward while I shoot It's the way that you hardwired me Tell that I'm already